Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. <laughs> Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. With me here today to uh, help work through some issues is uh, Mr. Don Rao from Dallas, Texas, one of our multifamily mentors. Don, welcome to the show. Hey, Del. Thanks. Great to be here. You know, um, we were talking the other day, and you brought up a topic I thought was pretty interesting, maybe worth doing a radio show on, and that was your discussion uh, that you were bringing up about how you see the normal business model completely different than the real estate business model. And then you went further and even explained that it wasn't just the real estate model. It was the lifestyle's real estate model is completely different than the normal business model. And I think that you're right on that to the extent that even the people that do real estate do it the old-fashioned business model. And that's why 9 out of 10 businesses fail within the first five years of business. Um, if it's possible, where would you like to pick that conversation up at? Because I thought it was an interesting conversation when you were pre- presenting it before. Well, I was just—I guess we could we could build out the framework of a traditional small business uh, tends to be kind of the same mo over and over. I see people that are small business owners and they're real proud of their accomplishments, and, and they should be. But but we have to understand we're we're just pretty much buying a job. <laughs> I know when I was doing it, instead of having one boss, I had over a hundred bosses that were called customers. And, uh, you know, that model is, is typically on a small business. The owner uh, is heavily involved in running the day-to-day operations, which is totally different than what we do here at Lifestyles. Yeah, your statement of it being a turnkey business, that was interesting. Explain that one to people. <laughs> yeah, I call, it, I call it small business like that where it's owner-operator, mom-and-pop. I call it a turnkey business, and the reason for that is typically if they're not there to turn the key, there is no business. So it's, it's you know, get up, go to work, unlock the door, get the cash register open, money in the drawer, ready for business that day. And, uh, of course, we don't, we don't do it that way in the department of business, particularly the way we do it here at Lifestyles. I know that some people that own multifamily, because, uh, you know, we end up buying these properties from them uh, quite a bit, and their operation is usually, you know, they're recording all of their activity. If you're lucky, it's on a spreadsheet. If you're not lucky, it's in a shoebox. So, uh, you know, we, we've gotten away from that, and uh, we run it actually like a business. And we don't participate in the day-to-day. I'm not, I'm not on property picking up trash or showing people units uh, to rent. Uh, that's just not the way we do it. And uh, night and day difference. And the lifestyle's way of doing multifamily and the traditional small business owner. You know, it's, you brought up a point I thought was reminding me of something. Back up, I bought um, two apartment complexes from one guy who's about 70 years old, and he was just getting to the point where it's too much for him to operate anymore, and his son wanted nothing to do with it because the way his dad did it, the way he worked, and it was just a disastrous problem. The son wanted no part of it. So he had to get rid of the properties because his son, when he thought was going to inherit them and take them over, wouldn't do it. 
And uh, I talked to the guy for months about buying the place, and he would never give me his financials. And finally, I just got mad at him. I said, look, either you're going to give me the financials so I can get a loan in this place, or you're not. So he pulls out a little spiral notebook, the kind that would fit in your, you know, your upper pocket of a shirt, and he handed it to me. And I said, what is this? He goes, that's my financials. And I opened it up, and all he had in this book was how much money had been collected. Each page was, okay, we got 10000 in the bank on Monday, the, you know, the first, and we got you know, 5000 in the bank Tuesday the second, right down the line for the whole month, and that was his total collections for the month. He had no expenses, no bills, no nothing. And uh, I said, this is financials. He goes, that's all you need. And I said, what do you mean that's all I need? He said, well, you know, if, if you buy this property, are you going to keep my staff? I said, probably not. So he says, you're probably going to figure out what your own payroll is. He goes, if you buy this property from me, you're going to say pay the same property taxes I pay, or are they going to change when you have a higher sales price? And I said, well, it's probably going to change. He said, well, about insurance, are you going to take my insurance, or are you going to go get your own insurance? You can't keep mine. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to get my own insurance, so you're going to know what that's going to be. He said, pretty much every expense you're going to have, you're going to create. And it's going to be up to you what you want them to be. So there's really no need to know what mine are. And, you know, I sat there, Don, for a second dumbfounded. And then I realized it. It really is true. The, the only thing that's really important is how much money can the property bring in. Uh, and then everything else can be calculated from beyond that. But the point was, he never did financials. I don't even know how he does his taxes. You know, he probably lied on him. But you're right. These people out there running these businesses with absolutely no business acumen at all. Uh, just... Tremendous. Uh, uh, most of them are working long hours, too, wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was uh, kind of doing a little research on this after we had we'd talked about it initially. And, uh, you know, most, most business owners typically work way more hours than their employees. They, uh, and again, it's that back to buying a job, really, where, where they've landed. Um, you know, they're so involved in the business and they get that do-it-yourself mentality. I know I had it before coming to Lifestyles. I had a pickup, and, and I knew where everything was at Home Depot and Lowe's, and I would go in there, get the stuff in the morning, and haul it out to the property. And and uh, one day I woke up and kind of realized that I could accomplish way more by uh, writing checks and giving them scopes of work and letting them do it than I possibly could running around trying to trying to save a few bucks here and there and then and then not getting the best results on whatever project it was i was i was working on it's much better left to the, the hands of the professionals they have all the tools uh, you know i usually meet them at the property and uh, review what they're going to do for that day and then i leave and i come back at the end of the day and see what kind of progress they've made i figured i could i could do four or five projects like that versus tying up my time just overseeing one I've noticed that beginners buy the worst properties out there. And I guess, there's, you know, I, I can think of one or two or three reasons why that might be, but I see it to be true. When people first start, they buy the cheapest thing they can buy. You know, hey, man, I got I to gotta buy something I can afford. And so they buy stuff that's really in bad condition. They don't realize how bad the condition is. And then they don't go in there with a plan to do the renovations up front. They just sort of kind of waddle through this mess of stuff that keeps going wrong over and over and over again. Um, never thinking from the beginning that, boy, I should bring some money in to fix all this stuff. Talk about undercapitalization, how devastating that is to a startup business. Yeah, yeah, that can, that can be. Uh, not so much for... 
uh, real estate, at least not the way we do it, but yeah, very, very much so in, in a uh, small business, uh, whatever you're doing, making cupcakes or uh, cleaning people's office buildings like I was. You um, tend to just focus on the amount of money you need to get, you know, to get the door open, to get your shelf stocked. Uh, beyond that, there's not much of a, it's all reactionary pretty much beyond that point. Oh, we're short this month. We've we got a truck coming in. How are we going to pay for this? That's that's the way it happens. And and it's just, you, you can't do everything. So as you, as you work through this with people, do you ever have anybody, you know, you've been mentoring for quite a while now. If you're running somebody who won't listen, won't make changes, won't come over to our side, our way of thinking? There's a few, but uh, I think we've done such a good job of educating them before they get to that point that it's not near what it used to be. They're, they have the expectation uh, that, that more um, correlates with, with the, the, uh, the education material. So it's, it's not as, as big of a problem at all. We, we're finding that uh, this new education platform that, that came out last year is really, really helping everyone to go at it with the right mindset. And, uh, you know, that usually translates to uh, more success. You know, yesterday... I uh, took on an article about a guy who was saying that uh, stocks are better than real estate. And the guy who sent me the article after hearing me do the radio show sent me another email saying that, you know, I've been talking to this guy. I've been emailing back and forth with him and trying to get him to, you know, understand that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And which I didn't know when I did the radio show about him. I think you might have heard that radio show yesterday stimulated the conversation. Yeah, today. Yeah. But uh when a guy sent me his emails, can you send me those emails? It was really interesting to see that this guy didn't understand about depreciation. Didn't what you know? He thought he didn't even know that you could depreciate your real estate. He owned a property free and clear, so he had no. He had to pay the property taxes. He had to pay income taxes, and he lived in California, so he had not only federal income tax but state income taxes <laughs> on the income. And he had no depreciation and no mortgage. So he was just getting killed by this property that in California, I'm sure, you know, probably rents for three or 4000 bucks a month. And he was getting all that money and paying taxes. And he hated it. He thought it was terrible. But the guy had no idea about depreciation. He had no idea about the fact you could refinance the money out and, and put a mortgage on there and lower your, your tax basis. It just it was an amazing, amazing email to see. And yet this guy's writing articles on finances. And what was interesting is that the member who was writing to this guy was telling him all this stuff. And the guy was like dumbfounded. You, you what? How? You know, it's just amazing. So how many people do you think, not our members, but other people going to business, Don, don't have any idea what they're doing? I mean, zip. Uh, in real estate or just in business in general? General small businesses? I, yeah, I think I, general I think a small lot businesses. Of, a lot of them don't have any idea. You know, it tends to be a trade that they, they, they've somehow mastered or, or perfected, and then they think they can go out and do it on their own, which they probably can, but there's more to... to uh, to, to running a business than there is to having a job, and that, that job mentality tends to follow them over into the small business arena. Um, and, you know, you can be the greatest plumber in the world, but if you can't keep your books and meet payroll and handle your taxes, um, you're, you're, you can be sunk pretty fast. I, I know there's uh, probably a journal in, in Houston, but the Dallas Business Journal 
in the back of it, it lists all of the uh, the tax obligations that are unpaid. And, and far and away, most of those are the uh, payroll taxes. You know, the, the employer pays the pays his help, and then end of the month, he doesn't have money to pay his FICA and his Medicare on the on the wages he's paid. So, I think that's pretty typical. And um, of course, what we teach is is uh, avoids all of those haphazards of, of the small business. You know, that's true. The the number one IRS lawsuit out there is for payroll taxes, believe it or not. That's that's the number one thing that takes businesses down. They, they don't realize they have to pay those quarterly estimated income taxes and payroll taxes every month that they put out of payroll. So it's a bizarre situation. Um, a person that does my lawn care, and uh, the lady that runs the lawn care business had bought it from the guy who owned it before. She was kind of like his office manager type of thing, and... Uh, she she bought this business from the guy, not understanding that she was going to have to pay him to buy the business. So she was facilitating an owner finance agreement where he still owned everything until she paid it all off. And if she didn't pay it all off, uh, he was going to take it back from her. Uh, she paid three or four times what the asset was worth because all she really bought was a bunch of old junky equipment that were paid in full in his, you know, from him. But. She had mm-hmm. to buy that equipment from him, along with buy his business from him. Uh, and so she had a basis uh, to start with out of the blocks of losing money. And she lost money for a year on this business before I sat down with her and talked to her about it. And said, so, you know, you have to understand what you're doing here. You know, you need to just break this deal off. I said, give me your contract. I'll read your contract with you. And I read it. And, you know, I could see that the, it was the contract was so misrepresented it was easy for her to get out of the deal um but she didn't understand that she was losing money for a year thinking she's buying a business when all she really bought was a book of work in other words here's 20 yards we're taking care of um you're buying that plus all my old junky equipment and i think a lot of people you know have no idea zero zip idea how to run a business when they first get into it we'll take a short break be right back with the Dell wamsley radio show you're listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell will be right back with more life-changing principles in just a few minutes. What would you say to women out there, Kelly, if they're thinking about doing this, if they're sitting out there right now going, I'm trapped with a glass ceiling where I work. I know I can't go up any further. There's, there's no room there. What would you say to them about becoming their own boss? Well, you know, you can decide to stay where you're at and keep trying to crack that glass ceiling. But at the end of the day, in this environment, it is so easy, you know, to be able to get out of that mold. People know me and they come up to me and they're very gracious and they don't look at me and say, oh, you're a woman, I'm not gonna invest with you, I'm gonna go over here. There's no real gender there. Are you ready to be part of a world where there are no glass ceilings, no gender bias, no limits? Start like award-winning real estate investor Kelly did with the online free workshop. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. With me here today is Don Rao out of Dallas. 
And Don, you know, as we're sitting here talking about these small businesses, the traditional business model, um, you have to also think about the information process uh, on small business. You know, in our, our group here, everybody shares everything so that if you need to know how to do something, you need to know where to find something, you've got it at your fingertips, you know, pretty much 24-7 on almost, no, I would say everything. There's nothing that's, that is held back from people to know. Uh, that's not the way it is with most small businesses, is it? I mean, most small businesses protect their information and hence don't get anybody else's information. Explain how, the, how that works. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, nobody, nobody wants to... Uh you know, whatever they're selling, they don't want to tell you what their their basis is in it, that how much it costs them, what their markups are. They don't want to tell you what their sales figures are for the year. Sources of uh, materials, uh, usually that's guarded. One, the one that I like though is the secret sauce. You know, how many times you see these recipes where you know they're, we've got this secret thing, you know, that we can't share with anyone. And I always uh, kind of my own little donism, I guess. Always say, you know, that we we kind of admit that it's just Thousand Island dressing, and we just set out to make the best we can. There's there's really no secrets, and within lifestyles, there's such a sharing of information that it's uh, there's very few uh, obstacles that you'll come across in in, in uh, real estate that. You can't sit in a room with, with members and find someone in that group has dealt with that problem before. And, I, and I've said the thing about lifestyles, and again, coming from a small business, family-owned family owned business background, lifestyles to me was like entering a family business that was in its fifth or sixth generation. You know, that's, that's the power that, uh, that lifestyles brings to, to the operation and you know, the acquisition, disposition, everything that goes on in real estate. Uh, we have members that have been through those things many, many times over. So it, it's funny that, you know, you get, you get several owners in a room and it turns into a competition what they have done, and they're all trying to one-up one another. And, and out of that comes some, some really creative ways of handling uh, problems that we face on day-to-day. So you go through this, and you're processing this as a mentor with someone. How do you get it across to them that they need to be open and sharing about everything? Is, it, is that all picked up from the radio show and from the two-day and the, all the initial processes? Are they pretty open by the time they get to you? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, uh, it's just the culture of within the group. The, the, one of the number one things that I hear new members say, you know, somebody that's joined, they've been in a couple of months, they're just, you know, getting oriented with events and, and how the schedule flows, is that how open everyone is. You know, who, who would walk into a room and, you know, we, we do these road trips and, and those are really fun. At the end of the day, we sit down, we have lunch together, maybe – couple of adult, adult beverages but just the sharing of information but they will they kind of grasp that from being a new member so it's not foreign by the time they they get to the point where they're talking to one of us it's uh you know they're already they already have the amazement of wow i can't believe this you know i have friends i've, I've known all my life and i don't know their net worth and here, this guy sitting across from me at lunch has already told me, you know, his net worth, his liquidity. You know, we're talking about doing deals together in the future. That, that's just the dynamics that the, the group brings. It's very exciting. So that adds uh, one more aspect to, to this whole equation. That is the ability to expand. I have a friend that owns a restaurant, and it's one of my favorite restaurants. I go there quite regularly. And every time I go there, the owner and his wife are there. One of the two or both of them are there and their kids. 
And, you know, I've sat down with them many times and said, look, your restaurant is incredible, serves incredible food. We live way out in the middle of nowhere, uh, an area that's growing rapidly. There's not very many good restaurants you can go to, and every one we do go to are completely packed because there's not very many of them. So why, won't, why don't you expand? We'll, we'll even put up the money for you to expand if you'll expand your business. We're going as partners. I'll put up the money, you do the thing. And he looked at me and says, no, no. Now we're, we're looking to get out of business. Um, we're tired. We work 60, 80 hours a week. We thought the kids would grow up and be able to take over the business for us, but the kids, you know, the, you know, the apple may not fall far from the tree, but it sure can roll a long distance in this day and age. They have different ideas. They don't want to work that hard or that long. And uh, the opportunity for these people to expand is just would be incredible. I mean, they have an incredibly good product that everybody I ever take there just raves on the place. But there they are. They have no ability to expand because they can't expand themselves. Whereas, you know, my gosh, how many apartment complexes do people own? What would you say of the lead investors, Don? And you can make up a number. We're not going to hold you to any number. But the lead investors, a first-time guy owns one apartment complex. You look all the way to Curtis, and Curtis has 40 apartment complexes. What do you think the average is amongst the lead investors? Uh, you know, would it be two, three, five? What would you say the the average number of businesses owned is by these different lead investors? I would say uh, average is, is you know hard to tell, but I, I would say somewhere between three and five on average per per lead. I know that uh, particularly if you're self managing, that that five is kind of the the point where. It all starts coming together, making sense, and you get some economies of scale in, in all aspects of the operation. But I'd say three to five, and that's usually so just a self-limit. You know, they just limit themselves to that, but for whatever reason, you could do well, more. The is that they don't want to, they don't want to scale up. That. Yeah, they don't want to scale up to the next level, and, and that's what it really takes. You have to scale up either by producing a larger management company with more integral parts, uh, or you have to go to completely another management company to where you're not a part of any of the uh, business activity other than the asset management part of it. And some people don't want to do that because they don't want to let go of the control of having the ownership of the management company. And some people don't want to, don't want to do it because they don't want to scale up their own management company and let's face it by the time you own three to five apartment complexes you're making probably 10 grand a month from each property you're probably making 30 to 50 grand a month and that pretty much satiates most people so but the opportunity point i'm mm -hmm. getting to is the opportunity to grow here in in this business the way we do it is much greater than you go out there and you own one electrical company you're not going to set up another electrical company you know you may not even want to build expand a book of business no. you know what i mean it's just too much work. Right. Don, I'm going to take a different direction here for the last segment, and I'm going to bring up some information that I brought up in the show a couple of days ago, which is population growth. Um, I don't know what you guys are doing in Dallas. Whatever it is, you know, if you're giving away free money or, you know, free drugs or something. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to these numbers, Don. Dallas-Fort Worth change in population. 146,238 new population, new people. The next closest one to that is Houston at 94,000, which is 50,000 less. Then Atlanta at 89, which is 50,000 less. Then Phoenix at 88. And then from there, it drops down into the 60s. 
from Washington, Seattle into the 50s and then in the 40s, the 30s, the 20s. In other words, there's only four cities in the country that are anywhere near 90 or above, right? Only four. One of them's Houston, one of them's Atlanta, one of them's Phoenix, but only one. That's 150,000 people. That's yeah, a 50% amazing. increase from anybody else, even the best other four cities. What are you doing up there, Don? Absolutely. Uh, wish I could take credit for it, but actually it's just job creation. we got uh, just a lot of jobs coming in. We've got some things that are still pending that Dallas-Fort uh, Worth hasn't been awarded on yet. There's some big distribution centers that are, that are coming into play. And uh, boy, it's just a really exciting time up here. It's it's amazing how uh, how fast things are growing. Where are you housing all those people, Don? Do you have well, I don't lots know. of I, I one thing that really put this into perspective. Uh, you know, JB Durham has a has a way with numbers, as we all know. And he told me, I guess it was a couple of years ago now, when they were projecting that this was going to happen to the DFW area. He said, "Think about it this way: if if we were to take the uh, take Oklahoma City." and just shutter the whole town and move everyone to DFW in three years, that's the impact it's going to have. And, boy, that was a, that was a really good visual. Uh, you know, numbers, numbers have their own meaning, but, boy, having, having something like that is a, to, to model it out and, and put it in perspective, that, that's huge. What kind of um, increases in rents are you seeing up there, Don, and what kind of occupancies are you seeing up there? Occupancy across the board, uh, definitely above 95%. I know our properties are, are running, uh, I'm in Denton, and we're running 98 to 100. And I know the rules, you know, if you're, if you're running that high, you need to be bumping the rents. But, you know, it's it, the rents are moving so fast that when somebody who signed a, a lease a year ago, they, they may have skipped over like two rent increases. It's just moving that fast. So, uh, yeah, it's a challenge. But, uh, you know, so when you, when you run problems. into that situation, this is a good one. When a lease is outlived two rent increases, when they come to that lease renewal, do you bump them both rent increases or do you just do a partial one and do a nuisance increase? How are you dealing with that? It, a lot of it just depends on, you know, um, the unit condition. If, uh, if we can get them out of there and maybe go in there and spruce things up and update the interiors and, and get. Hundred hundred fifty uh, dollar bump in rent. We'll we'll do that, but you know, good residents have been in place uh, for a while, and they don't cause problems. They pay their rent on time. Uh, we, we like to keep them in place, and we'll make every effort to uh, you know keep it within their budget. But at some point, you know, it just comes down to a business decision. But um, so far, so good. It's a, it's a great market. Uh, just loving it. As a um, a general rule, if you can, share with us about how many different apartment projects are going on at the same time in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of by Lifestyles members. In other words, where you're in the process of either looking at them, our letter of intent on them, contract on them, yeah. due diligence, closing, yeah. whatever. Yeah. What what kind of volume? Yeah, staggering. Uh, we yeah we had uh, our I think my weekly update that came through. Now I'm not directly referring to Charles Ho who's, who's here also, but we divide the workload and I think collectively we had just under 20 properties that were letter of intent or actually in contract. It's it's been the busiest that I've seen it since I've been on since I've been on staff and or even been a lifestyle member as far as that goes. Uh, uh, just uh, deal flows is incredible, and uh, I think I've, I've had uh, two due diligence this week. So uh, there's a lot of activity, a lot of a lot of first-time buyers too that uh, that really need some coaching and somebody to hold their hand, get them through the process. Um, 
Yeah, it's just real exciting um, to see. You know, we, we forget what uh, what we know until we're asked certain questions. I'm like, yeah, I forgot that I knew that. You know, but I helped a guy the other day save about fifty thousand dollars going at a going at a rehab uh, item in a different way, and uh, that's real energizing. You know, real yeah, fun yeah, just stuff. Thinking, just off the top of my head, I was thinking, you know, we don't. I don't know the number, but let's say the average number of people in one of these syndicated deals is twenty five people. And if you have 20 deals going on at any one time, which Houston, we're running average about 25 deals at a time. So you take 20 deals times 25, that's 500 people that are getting into a deal at this time. That's just an amazing number, and that's just Dallas. So if you talk about Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and Austin, you talk about three times as much, that's 1,500 people that you're going to, within the next 45 to 90 days, impact their lives. Uh, just a tremendous number, something we should all be proud of. Don, I want to thank you for coming on today. Appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man out there with your life and your wife and all the mentoring you're doing. So have a wonderful day. And the rest of you out there, remember this. It's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. Information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.